You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone. I'm the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. Now, this week we had a late change to the lineup due to injury. Lucy Heinet was originally uh, supposed to come on the show, uh, but she woke up feeling ill and so I was um, at that point looking for somebody else, and it was a, a perfect opportunity uh, to call up Tim Marshall, uh, who's been on the show before. He's at Tim J. Marshall on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, anyway, I called Tim kind of last minute, uh, and he jumped in to talk about what was a busy week and weekend for Saints. And um, you look at all the unpredictability that happened uh, throughout the week and, and with Les Reed and Martin Hunter both um, exiting the club. Clearly they need help. And yet the week kind of ended like we would have thought. Um, we have, of course, dropped points at home. It's a joke. We did manage to get a goal from open play, which is nice. Finally, something for the home fans to cheer about. But late on, of course, uh, some controversy, some bizarre refereeing decisions, and ultimately um, disappointment as Saints dropped two points at home to Watford and we'll talk about all of that uh, with Tim Marshall this week. But um, just one thing before we jump into the show is a lot of people have asked on Twitter um, with the fires going on in California, if my, me and my family are okay. And, and yes, at this point we are fine. We, my personal home and my immediate family uh, are, are far enough away that we shouldn't have any issues. I do have extended family that are near the fire zones, but they are currently safe as well. And I appreciate that from everybody. Um, the only other thing I'd like to say is congratulations to both uh, the total saints podcast and the saints FC podcast for hitting episodes 50. Uh, that's a big milestone. Congratulations. But now let's talk to Tim uh, about everything that happened this week with saints FC. We'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Tim Marshall. You can find him on Twitter at Tim J. Marshall. Tim, uh, first off, thank you for joining me, period. And second of all, thank you for joining me on kind of such short notice. No problem. I'm really great to be back. I don't know. We got a lot of stuff to talk about um, today. This is, we're speaking on Remembrance Sunday, um, but we have a game to talk about. We have the firing of Les Reed and the moving on of Martin Hunter and, and kind of all of the implications of that. So uh, if you're ready, we can we can start with just a, a brief introduction of you, I guess, because um, most people were probably around when you were on last time. Um, but for those that weren't, maybe just give them a, a little idea about, about kind of who you are and, and you know, your, your time with Saints. Sure, yeah. So I've been a Saints fan for about 25 years. Um, my first game was at the Dell 
my dad took me to see um, Southampton beat Everton 2-0. And of course, Letizia scored, who's my favourite player. Uh, now I live in London, uh, North London, quite near um, the Emirates. Um, but of course, would never change my team and I'm a lifelong uh, Saints fan. And yeah, regularly post on, on Twitter about the team and uh, respond to matches and sometimes uh, comment on the ugly side as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and your dad, also a fan, he, he took you early on, correct? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, uh, so he went to university in Southampton. He's also from London originally, but he stayed in the uh, area uh, after university. And that's where I was born in Winchester, which uh, lots of listeners from the area will know. And that's very near Southampton. So I grew up there and went to school in Southampton. And yeah, I was a, was a fan from a young age uh, going to the Dell. And then now, now I'm living in London. I don't get to go to as many, uh, many games I'd like, but I try and go, go down as much as possible and probably go to about five to ten a season and some home games and then, yeah, some in London as well. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, obviously they have to come there for Chelsea and uh, Crystal Palace and Arsenal uh, and Tottenham. So, I mean, you, you have chances to, to see them, which is always nice. And uh, I don't know, I, my, my time in London was, was, was pretty great. Despite the weather and everything else, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good time. So I, I appreciate you taking me out. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you, you, know, you, you, you and uh, your girlfriend had a dinner with my family and I, and that was, a, it was uh, one of the highlights of the trip for me. So, so I appreciate that. Great. It was really, yeah, it was a really nice evening. Sorry. I heard last week about the story of the encounter with the uh, man being arrested on the street. That sounded a bit scary, but um Hopefully we got into the pub, had a few drinks and some food and uh, talked football. It was a bit of an improvement after that. Oh, yeah. I just think it was a little bit of the uh, that time in the afternoon. Like it, it was still getting dark kind of early. And then we were kind of like we had been walking all day in the rain. And like I think we were just kind of dragging. And I was like, do I get coffee now? We hadn't had it yet. And then all of a sudden this door slams open and here comes the guy. We're like, just grab the kids, grab the kids, keep walking. Don't look back. And it was, it was totally fine, but it, it just, it kind of woke us up a little bit, but it, it's all right. Um, all right. So I, I mean, do we, do we start obviously the kind of the, and it's not an elephant in the room, but the big kind of news this week was, was less read kind of being moved on. Um, but I, I think we start with yesterday. Uh, we start with the match and, and the pre-match stuff. Uh, and then we will kind of move towards, uh, the kind of the, the wider picture, um, of, of Les Reed and, and, and what that means in the Ralph Kruger interview and, and all of that stuff. So, uh, and then we have, we have plenty of listener questions as well. So we'll try to, we'll try to get to some of those if we can. Um, but we got a lot to do, so let's, uh, let's, let's, let's do that. Um, right. obviously this weekend, uh, the day we're talking is Remembrance Sunday, uh, in the United States, we refer to it as Veterans Day and it, it's kind of it's a special day here. And, it seems like every match all around England, uh, there are kind of um, these these ceremonies that go on before before the matches this weekend because of uh, people kind of looking back and, and remembering uh, kind of the, the sacrifice that was made by a lot of the people um, who served in the armed forces. Um, but I mean, for you, I, I mean, is this is this that big of a day all around England or is it just something that is kind of drummed up and everybody kind of remembers it? just for the weekend and then it kind of goes away or what's it like uh, from your perspective, maybe living in, in London and, and, and having been around uh, in England kind of most of your life? Yeah. I mean, this is a very poignant day for, for many people, especially those with, with loved ones in the, in the armed forces. And of course, many people who have lost relatives in the past and in, in the two great wars. And uh, this year is the hundredth um, anniversary of the end of hostilities of the first world war. So in the build up, there's been quite a lot of media coverage of, uh, um, stories of, of bravery and heroism in, in the First World War and you know, the huge amount of loss. And when I was actually uh, at uh, college, so aged about um, 17, I went on a school trip to Belgium 
to Ypres to see the battlefields. Uh, and it was a very moving experience because you would go and visit the trenches and the tour guide would say, right, you boys stand up, 10 of us, and say, okay, go over there. And then he said, right, you're dead. You know, boys of, of my age at the time, um, 16 and 17 years uh, killed in there in their hundreds of thousands. So yeah, there's been, there's been a lot of, a lot of, a lot of stories, a lot, a lot of coverage. And obviously at each game there's been, um, playing of the last post and, uh, minute silence so for everyone to kind of reflect on the fact that, you know, football is, is so important to us and we love it, but there are, there are bigger things in, in football and, uh, and football can also bring people together as a community and Southampton being where it is by the sea has a sort of strong military and naval history um, and was very badly destroyed in the war. So it has a lot of historical ties. Uh, so it has a lot of resonance for people of Southampton as a community um, to come together through football and, uh, and reflect at the game. Yeah. And it, it was nice to see, uh, I think you actually pointed out that um, was it Saints Brass who were out there uh, had the opportunity to play. Um, I think it was the last post after the two minute silence. Um, I mean, is, does it, does it mean, I guess, does it mean more because we, we kind of know them, you know, like it, it's not some random dude that we've never met before. It's like, you, you can look at them and see like, Hey, I see those people every, each and every week out there playing, you know, our songs. And now they're, they're getting the opportunity to kind of honor, uh, their country and the, and the people who served. Is that, I mean, am I yeah. right in that or? I think so. And, um, that piece of music is, is very, very moving. And when I was in Bel- Belgium, as I said, on that trip, uh, we'd hear that as well. And it's just, um, it's sort of very evocative and people instantly recognize it and it just brings to mind military sort of service and rem- remembering the, the fall. And so, uh, I think that's, yeah, a very touching tribute before, before the game started. And I mean, there is, I don't want to say there's controversy, but not everybody wears the, the, the poppy, um, on their, on their, on their, Jersey, you know, and I think most footballers, I mean, you saw Gabby Dini and a bunch of other people wearing it. Um, I think everybody on the Saints squad wore it, uh, but there have been kind of those, those um, who chose not to. And for, I guess from an outsider perspective, it, it, it's somewhat confusing. Like it takes some digging to kind of understand uh, the reasons why, why somebody wouldn't want to do it. Um, but I mean, but is that tolerated really? Uh, or, or do people get kind of uh, upset about that stuff? Uh, I mean, it depends who you ask. Like the tabloid newspapers, the Sun, etc., will uh, rather depressingly each year whip up a frenzy towards James McLean, uh, who is Irish and chooses not to wear one. Um, Nemanja Matic as well decided not to today uh, for very different reasons. He's from the Balkans, and it, he said it reminded him of uh, his childhood and, warf- and warfare and conflict there. So from my perspective, I respect everyone. If they want to choose not to or they choose to, it's it's an individual decision. Um but yeah, there will be intense media scrutiny on people if they don't. When you tune in television for any program, the news, uh, current affairs discussion program, people will be wearing them. So there's quite a strong uh, emphasis on, on doing so. And it is seen as disrespectful not to if you're in a in a public um, kind of re- arena like that, whether it be football or on television, or if you're uh, you know, doing a lecture at university or wherever you have an audience, uh, people generally do so. Um, but the, the poppies on the shirts, I think... The, they'll be auctioned off afterwards, I think, and the money will go to military charities. So that's another reason why they're on there uh, to, to raise further funds. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. And I, I, and like one more thing that as part of this year's thing is, uh, is Stephen Davis. Uh, they planted a, an oak tree at Staplewood um, as a, as a way to honor those people who um, 
served and fell during the first world war. So that was kind of a, a neat touch from, from him. Um, you know, some people were, were saying uh, some pretty horrible things about him uh, on social media, just simply because he hasn't been uh, playing a lot, but I think that his role at the club now and in the public and, and in Northern Ireland as well, I think it goes well beyond kind of playing central midfield for us, you know? Um, so I, I was happy to see that. I was happy to see um, the the club take the time and make sure that that was, that was done and allow him to do that. And, uh, you know, I mean, coming from America, it, we are, our kind of um, perspective of the first world war is, is different. The, the way it's taught in history books is different. Um, you know, for a lot of my childhood, we were taught that we were the kind of the saviors. We were the ones who went over there and helped everybody out. And it's like, you know, when you take a step back and kind of look at everything else, the fact that we weren't, uh, you know, we weren't attacked, we weren't damaged, we were uh, kind of safe from all of that. And sure, we made some sacrifices in terms of, of luxuries that we gave up during the wartime. But uh, it's nothing that uh, when you when you start looking at it in comparison to uh, with people who are living through the war, living in war zones, actually kind of dealt with. So um, it's for me as a, as a history teacher, it's kind of uh, this is a, a nice look at at kind of uh, how people who were kind of directly affected look back on it i guess yeah and i think with the first world war um there's a lot of literature out there because there are a lot of a lot of um, soldiers that fought wrote poetry and i think it's the sense of that kind of completely pointless industrial slaughter with hundreds of thousands of people lined up on sort of two opposite sides of a field and then um just walking to you know actual walking pace towards machine guns to try and capture a small bit of land that changed hands several times and then course there's the famous story that at christmas time the troops came out of their respective trenches and played a game of football and exchanged cigarettes and gifts um and sort of became friendly and then had to go back to shooting each other so yeah really senseless and it really hits home as i said just just how young a lot of the boys were um but it's to commemorate obviously all all, all wars but with a particular focus this year on the on the first world war i think also there was the unveiling of a plaque um at the club as well that's right that's right lost their lives and really depressing to hear you say about Stephen Davis um getting abused because that's not the time at all it's a post um about commemoration and uh I've never heard anything negative at all about his behavior off the field he seems a completely commensurate a professional nice guy and um, he's a club captain now yeah he needs to be moved sort of to a more kind of leadership off the pitch role um and I think he knows that as well and uh, yeah as he said he's always represented the club in a really positive way and uh i have nothing but respect for him yeah yeah absolutely and yeah it's i mean the the fact is that there are people like out that out there on the internet that are going to do that no matter what and sometimes we just have to ignore them but uh it just happened to be one of the things that i saw and that was brought to my attention was was that particular person or uh, those few people kind of giving abuse which i i don't have i don't have time for i guess i'm not going to tolerate that really um but yeah like you said the club did uh, unveil a plaque and it's. I mean, it, it was definitely clear that there was a, a big focus on this uh, from all across football, but especially it's nice to see uh, the club uh, making sure that they make that a, a point uh, of, of remembrance and recognition. So, um, yeah, but I guess kind of just mo- moving on, I don't know if there's a good way to move on to the, to the game or not, but, um, you know, we, we did play a game. Uh, people were saying prior to the Reed hacking that this may be Mark Hughes's last chance he had to win or be moved on or whatever. Um, and, and on, in his press conference, he, he mentioned that Wesley Hoot uh, had a foot infection that he may not be able to play. Uh, he did also mention that Lamina 
was struggling with something, but he thought he would be able to. So I didn't think Hoot was going to play. I thought we would see some form of uh, perhaps Stevens Investigard, uh, but it wound up being Yoshida and Hoot. And, and in addition to that and Gabbiadini coming in and Armstrong coming in, um, those were the three changes. Uh, it was Yoshida, Armstrong, and Gabbiadini. But what did you think about uh, the, the lineup that we set out there? I mean, were you were you happy with that or would you rather have seen uh, something else? No, I was, I was pleased actually. I was pleased to see Yoshida come back into the team. I was pleased to see Gabby Adini start. In terms of a pattern though, of consistency, you do sort of get a sense that actually it could be as much as throw, throw a load of names up in the air and see where they land. You know, I think you said you've changed centre-back partnerships four times um, yeah. season. Um, I felt it was a bit like last week we were absolutely hammered. So let's, let's jig things around a bit and see what happens. But obviously putting Gabby Adini in from the start um, paid off. He had a, a really good game, took his goal well. Um, and I thought we played well, actually. I mean, it wasn't going to get any worse than last week. Um, but we put in a good performance and Watford had been on a, on a pretty good run, actually, um, doing a lot better than people thought. In fact, some people tipped them for relegation, but their model of changing the manager doesn't really seem to affect them. And uh, they've had some really good attacking players uh, like Pereira. Um, so I thought, yeah, I, th- I thought, uh, you said before the game, given our respective forms, 1-1 would have actually maybe been a good result because of the way it panned out, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Uh, yeah, felt very frustrating and almost like a defeat in a way. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I was just thinking like for me, it, when we, when we play the back four, like you need to have some sort of consistency. And, and so I was trying to think back to all of the different combinations and I, I think it's four. It could be more than that. Um, I didn't take time to go back and, and look through all the, the exact partnerships, but it, it's very clear. We're still kind of tinkering and people have locked down spots. Um, Cedric isn't going anywhere. McCarthy isn't going anywhere. Bertrand will miss out next time because of the yellow card accumulation. Um, but Hoiberg and Lamina seem to be stalwarts in the middle. Uh, Redmond seems to have claimed a place in Ings. And then, so you really only have a couple of spots that are up for kind of debate, but they do seem to be changing all the time. We can't find a formation or a, a lineup that, that does all of the things we need to do. And, and of course it's not Hughes's job to make people happy with his lineup selections. Uh, but I mean, yesterday, I think people were, were mostly okay with that. I think a lot of people were happy to see Yoshida come back in. Um, they would have preferred that Hoot be the one that's, that's dropped, but um, I think he's the only natural left-footed center back we have. And I, 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 I'm going to keep saying that that's part of the reason. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of people uh, are saying, what does Hoot have to do to get dropped? Um, yeah, I mean, I think wasn't it last week, uh, he'd scored um, two on goals, which was as many goals as we actually scored in the other net for, for a month or so. Yeah. Uh, he, he always seems to have a mistake in him. Um, but, but for some reason he's always preferred. I don't know if it's just, as you said, that, that left footed thing, but um, I think people might have wanted to see Vestergaard come back in uh, or, or, or even Stevens. I think he would maybe be people's third choice to partner Yoshida at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know. And, and people were kind of slating Cedric a little bit yesterday uh, for his performance. Um, I think there were plenty of mistakes for the actual Watford goal uh, that we, everybody could have improved on that, but that, I mean, you go through a whole entire 90 minutes plus stoppage time and and you have kind of one breakdown and they managed to score from it. Um, you know, that I, I think that's, that's what happens. And I, and I think we got lucky a, a couple of other times. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, kind of just right off uh, from first kickoff. I, I was worried about De La Feu. Um, I can't spell his name. It's spelled like six different ways in my notes, but oh well. Um, but he is, I mean, he's fast. He is 
technically good. He was playing last year at Barcelona for portions of the season. Uh, so we know that he kind of, he has it. He's not, uh, he's not, uh, some of these guys have a lot of promise or they get talked up a lot, but I think De La Feo actually uh, can do it. And I think yesterday, uh, at least early on, he really uh, was going to give Bertrand a really hard time. And um, kind of the first chance that he had was, was just lazy from Bertrand to kind of dangle the leg out there. Um, if you, I don't know if they showed it on match of the day, but uh, he kind of dangles a leg out, the ball goes right by him. And then he's just chasing uh, De La Feo, who probably makes the wrong decision and trying to shoot uh, when he probably should have squared it. Um, but I mean, looking at that Watford team right off the, off the bat, were you, were you worried about the way the team started the game or did you, were you confident that they were going to grow into it at all? Or, or were you just happy we didn't concede or how were you kind of feeling kind of maybe the first five, five or 10 minutes of the game? Yeah, I actually thought we, we didn't look too bad. I agree with you about Bertrand and I'm not really sure what's happening with him. It almost seems like the captaincy has, has actually really affected him in a negative way rather than a positive way. And I was saying on um, on Twitter earlier, actually, I wonder if it's just the motivation of playing for Saints. Because well, when I was watching Liverpool, thinking how good Van Dijk and Mane are, you know, Bertrand's played in the Champions League final, and Cedric's played in a, in a Euros final for Portugal, but they just they just don't seem to have that kind of motivation each week. And you know, I think as you said with with the Fulham game, it might be interesting Bertrand's out anyway, but maybe even to see like Jan Val- Jan Valery come in for Cedric. Uh, and then have um, obviously target on the other side and, and see if that really reshapes our our defense. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because Fulham want target again on loan in January, I think. Um, or they try to sign him permanently, I think, this this season. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that. But but yeah, I mean, there's nobody to push Cedric, really. I mean, our options are Stevens or, or Bednarak, and they're just not really the same. Um, and, and yeah... Uh, I kind of see it too with, with font, like font tended to fall off after that, that Euro, uh, win, you know, after he, after Portugal went, went and did that, he, he wasn't really the same, whether his mind was elsewhere or the motivation was elsewhere or whatever it was, something wasn't there. Um, but then you look at guys like Lamina and I guess, I don't know, I'd, I'd kind of say like he's, he's putting in a shift each and every week. And, um, but, but I know a lot of people wouldn't, I know a lot of people won't agree with that, but um, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's, it's the fact that they feel like, well, at where I'm at in my career, the contract I signed here, like I've basically achieved everything I'm, I'm going to. And so I'm just going to play it out. But it, I don't know. At, at the same time, they seem too young to be doing that too. You know, like they can probably each get one more move. Yeah. I don't know if it's, they think they don't have the players around them to, to step up, you know, because Bertram was playing with a, a really good Chelsea mm-hmm. team. And obviously, um, Cedric was in a, in a Portugal team that, that went and won the, the Euros. So they're just thinking, well, if I can't pull this off, then I'm just not going to be motivated. And uh, I think I saw on um, Twitter, someone said that the communication between um, Bertrand and Redmond was quite bad. And Bertrand was sort of sarcastically applauding Redmond when he had misread what he's trying to do. So Redmond was getting nervous about those overlaps. And when you have that kind of breakdown between you know, defense and, and, and field and attack, it's, it's not very good, really. Um, and that's, I think, something that's got a lot worse over the years and is, is worrying that kind of lack of... Um, Team, team communication, looking at each other. I don't know if that's an issue with Hughes and how he communicates with the team. Yeah, they look they look happy enough when they when they sort of score and they celebrate together. But uh, over the course of ninety minutes, I think that's a kind of real worry, really. There. Yeah, there there were a couple of instances yesterday where people gave the ball away, um, people made bad passes, like put people under pressure, um, and Hoiberg was yelling at Ings for a while uh, over, over a pass that he played. But I think that Ings was already. I think I read that Ings injured himself in the warm up or got injured during the warm up 
and so played the first 40 minutes or so and wasn't a hundred percent. And so I think that that, like when you figure that out afterwards, um, you look back at some of the passes he played and he was probably in pain and trying to make sure he didn't lose the ball and, and chose to play a, a pass that he normally wouldn't play where normally he'd try to, to, to make a move and get out of it himself. Maybe, um, Hoiberg gave up the ball uh, more than more often than the normal yesterday, but yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it is weird. And there were a couple of times where, where Bertrand and Redmond clearly weren't on the same page, but it's, I mean, you're trying, the whole team is trying to figure out a way to attack and that, that whole aspect of the team isn't working. So I wouldn't necessarily blame that on individuals. I blame it on, uh, the fact that if we were scoring goals and kind of being free flowing going forward, like those things will come together, but everybody I think is nervous. You saw last week when people kind of weren't attacking, uh, weren't getting into the box, weren't attacking, uh, the, the space where the ball, they could anticipate the ball to be because nobody knows where it's going to be. And I think with that kind of stuff, it, it, it has to be uh, just, just nervousness and, and kind of this, this idea that they don't really know how to attack and they don't know how other people are going to work. And, and if that's down to the training ground or whatever, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. It must have been difficult as well for Armstrong to come back into the team. I think people were happy to see him there. He'd obviously showed a lot of promise in preseason and, and the early games, but then to come into a system which he's not really sure about. Um, I think Hoiberg, who has been one of our best performers this season, had a, pretty bad game and I don't know if by his standards and I don't know if that's because him and Armstrong haven't really worked out exactly how to play with each other and also coupled with the fact that Watford are a really physical team they're, they're, they're a lot of big sort of strong guys in there and when they played uh, Tottenham at home early in the season they absolutely bullied them off the off the off the ball and they won 2-1 in the end and I thought actually this could uh, this could happen to, uh, to us as well we could get bullied here and I don't think we did I think we held our own but I was actually surprised to see that we're actually the maybe the second shortest team um, in the league. Because you think we've got some tall-ish players, like um, who obviously, and uh, um, Lamina, and uh, Vestergaard, if he plays, which he wasn't. Right. Um, yeah, on the whole, we've sort of a fairly, sort of not particularly robust <laughs> big team in the, way, in the way Watford was. There was a real danger of them just kind of dominating us in the middle there. Yeah, but I, I would say that the, the Lamina and Hoiberg worked really hard, um, but the... Hoiberg didn't have his best game and that that's okay. That's going to happen. Um, but I was really interested to see that it looked like Gabby Dini was playing out wide, uh, right for the most part. And kind of Armstrong was kind of just behind Ings or up with Ings, And I, I wasn't really sure how that was going to work. Uh, but I thought he had a pretty good game. Um, you know, he, he created some chances. He, uh, put a cross in or a couple of crosses in, he attempted to pull one back that, uh, nobody happened to be there, but I, I, I thought that he, he played well, especially for not being in the team. Um, and I, and I would have liked to have seen had, uh, Ings maybe gotten to the 60 minute mark, what they could have done coming out of halftime. But, uh, overall I thought, I thought they were, they were kind of just, just fine. Um, I guess, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, the, 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 the chance that, that Armstrong missed, I guess. Uh, the ball came in and he got to it and he just happened to hit the goalkeeper. And I think that if that goes in, then maybe all of the other stuff that, that we have to talk about in a minute kind of, uh, isn't is meaningless, I guess, because we're already up by a goal. Um, but, but I guess to go to, to Gabby Dini's actual goal, um, I mean, I, I, I tweeted that, you know, it wasn't pretty, but it was, it was so beautiful because finally we get a goal from open play. And and you think back to Swansea and some of the other goals that he scored, it's just this kind of scrappy, 
Um, I'm going to latch onto this and I'm going to put it away. And it's just, that's it. You know, it wasn't a whole lot of buildup. There wasn't um, anything that we came from sustained pressure and, and earning a corner and, and then another corner. Um, but I mean, for you, what was, what was kind of your feeling when that goal went in? Was it relief? Was it excitement or how were you kind of, uh, feeling at that moment in the match? Yeah, I was so happy. Um, I really like, um, Gabby Adini. Um, I think this is kind of contrary to my tweet last week in which he wasn't one of the players I said I would keep, but that's only because he just isn't getting the game time. Um, so I was really pleased for him. I think Ings did great work really to basically manage to kind of battle away and, and dig in and get, and get the ball loose for him because we saw at the, uh, at the Newcastle game, sort of uh, Ings and um, Austin were kind of getting in each other's way. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be have the skill to kind of get the ball out from under his feet and, and get it to his teammate um, was really clever and, uh, yeah, a good assist there. And then just, just for us to score at home, it's such a huge lift because what's been happening is, you know, we go there, all the fireworks go off, there's a bit of hype and build-up. People cheer on the team for a bit and then it goes really flat and that's because we just don't score, we concede, whatever happens. But, yeah, to give the, give the crowd a lift means... Um, get everyone on their feet, get everyone singing and just a nice feeling. And a lot of people tweeted the usual jokes about, Oh, I can't remember what it feels like for us to have scored. And <laughs> I'm going I'm to faint and all this stuff. But um, one nil is never really enough for us is the problem. So it was, it was wonderful. But then I thought we're going to need another one here, particularly because of those good attacking players you mentioned that uh, what would have with, with Delefeo and Pereira and so on. I thought they could easily hit us in the counter attack. Um, so yeah, I thought this is good, but we need to build on this. And even when we do, you know, get, get a two goal lead. There's always a risk as I so bitterly experienced at Brighton. Um, yeah. but yeah, in the moment, just, you know, real joy at uh, that. I mean, I would say that there were portions of, of that first half where you could watch it and go like, if you only saw those clips, you would say that team's pretty good. You know, the, the passing sequences that were there, the way we move the ball from, uh, kind of from front to back and from, I mean, I mean, you watch teams that, are comfortable in possession in, in the, the attacking third where they can find little passes, they can get into tight spaces, they can get it back out and they can get it back into another dangerous area. And it doesn't have to be like the te- overly telegraphed. We're going to whip, get it wide and whip it into the box. Like it, there are, there are, there's movement there and there's, there's confidence in the passing. And for portions of the game, we had that. And I haven't seen that in a long time. I, I would say that, that, that yesterday was maybe, um, you know, there were probably five or 10 instances where that was our best, the best we've looked all season. Um, but we still yet couldn't find the, the next goal or the, the, the one to kind of really truly put it away. And, and I mentioned the Armstrong miss, um, he's going to look back at that and go like, that, that's going to be one of those ones where it's, it, we were right there, but, but chances get missed. And I was, I was happy that we had chances in the box. You know, uh, everybody talks about how many shots we've had all season, a lot of those shots have been from some distance. Uh, they haven't been the greatest and to, to see us getting, um, oops, somebody kicked the dog or stepped on him. Um, to see, uh, us get those shots within the area, uh, in a really dangerous area where actually the expected goals would be much higher. Um, I thought, I thought was great. So, um, I don't know, like, I'll be honest that going into halftime, I wasn't necessarily hugely confident because there's always that kind of worry in the back of your head. You mentioned, uh, Brighton, uh, and, and we've seen it happen too often over the past couple of seasons where we've blown leads late in games. And I mean, I don't know I think the change, uh, forced, uh, Austin for Ings, I think that changes our, our game plan a little bit, but, um, I don't know. Can, can I ask you before we, we move on to the second half, like 
Charlie Austin came out, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, and said, like, everybody's got to get behind us, you know? And a lot of people kind of went after him uh, for saying that because a lot of people said, you know, you're, you know, not fit. You're not doing this. You know, like, they, they really kind of went after him pretty hard. And, and I can't say that I, that I necessarily disagree. I doesn't always look like he's, he is fully committed maybe. Uh, and maybe that's, that's unfair on him, on him to say that. But, um, what did you make of, of, I don't know if you remember that, that conversation there, that tweet or that, whatever it was that he said. Uh, but if you do like, well, I don't know, how do you feel about that versus the performance and then the, the post-match interview that he gave yesterday? Yeah. I think that each week they'll sort of put someone up to say the usual platitudes about, they need everyone on board and pulling in the right direction and so on. And, he seemed to be a man with a, a personal point to prove. Um, I read on Twitter that someone said the reason that he ran towards the bench and was pointing and you know, gesturing at someone was because they'd been right behind him in the dugout and said, oh, no, bring on, don't bring on Charlie, bring on Oberfemi. So uh, <laughs> he, he was going over there to sort of give them peace of his mind. Uh, whether that's true or not, they said themselves and you know, they, they don't know, but uh, it's quite funny. Um, but I wasn't, I'm not his biggest fan. And actually when uh, I saw that him and Dini were coming on at the same time, uh, I made the comparison of it being like two medieval armies lined up in their battlements, ready to load the catapults with a ox cart <laughs> to fling over the battlements. Um, yeah, quite an agricultural player, a bit like um, Andy Carroll, I suppose, is, is the master of that. You know, he's not very mobile, but he's a poacher and he was our top goal scorer last season. So um, he, I guess if he gets a chance, and it was a good, it was a really good finish. It was. Um, and obviously Yoshida was <laughs> not offside and not in the uh, goalie's eyelines it was a ridiculous decision and I think it was entirely to level up the penalty that should have been given so uh, him then coming out afterwards um, and giving that interview was uh, funny <laughs> and uh, people loved it because usually you get an incredibly scripted uh, uh, very neutral kind of media train with an inch of your life kind of response from players who don't want to get a fine or people's eyes glaze over and say oh, here they go but people love that because they thought it was refreshing and it was um and it was showing real passion and he seemed to have burst a blood vessel in his eye. He got so angry yeah. and he'll pro- probably get a fine for that. Um, what, it, what it reminded me of actually at the end where he's saying, it's a joke, it's a joke, was uh, actually the, his final tap when Nigel Tufnell was furious about his um, backstage um, bread being a bit too small. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that clip, but a few people posted the, the, yeah, the spinal tap reference there, which I quite like. Um, yeah, so... The call to arms, I suppose, from him, and then he felt that he, you know, he delivered that, and he'd given the fans something to, to cheer, only for it to be taken away. It must be pretty frustrating. Um, but as I said, we actually were very lucky with the with the penalty. And um, if we, if VAR was to have been used yesterday, then we would have almost certainly been down to ten men with Bertrand on a yellow already. He would have That's been right. sent off. Watford, would they have scored? Deeney's only missed three penalties. I read. And in general, 75% of penalties get converted. McCarthy is as good as anyone at saving them. But yeah, pretty sure that would have been scored. So that would have been 1-1. And then with 10 men, we'd really probably have to hold on for a draw rather than be going for a win. So there's so many um, you know, what-ifs uh, right. there. But in the end, it was a terrible performance for the referee, for both sets of fans. Um, and people calling into the BBC 606 yesterday, you actually had Saints fans and Watford fans in agreement saying that... Um, the goal should definitely have stood, but a penalty should have been given. Yeah. And, and I, I think that it was hit that man's second uh, ever Premier League game. You know, he's just this year been promoted to the Premier League. That's the second game in charge. And I, I, I normally am not one to criticize referees because that job is, is immensely hard. And, 
you get no love from anybody for anything. You know, I don't think there are referees that anybody likes. There's always something to complain about. But yesterday he had a really bad game. He did a poor job of managing the game. You look at kind of the the way some of the things built up over time and kind of how chippy it got towards the end. Um, I think that's all down to the way that he, he chose to manage the game and his decision to disallow Charlie Austin's goal. I felt was longer than some of the VAR decisions, um, you know, over the summer in in the world cup, you know, to, to confirm or, or disallow. And it took so long to do that, that it was, it was totally disheartening because I knew I, I had to go to my daughter's games um, cause she had a tournament yesterday and today, but, uh, I went to her game and so I was not watching the second half live and I saw that it was one, one, I saw that's how it ended. And I went, Oh, that, you know, that kind of sucks. And I, I, I went ahead and queued up the, the tweet for questions and the, the, the three word kind of match res, uh, summary and stuff. And, and I, I got flooded and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go back and watch. And then to know that there were two referee mistakes coming and watching the game and knowing like, Oh, and then you can just see it. And it's just like, Oh my, like how, how did this happen? You know, it, it was beyond frustrating simply because I, you know, we really needed the points to be quite honest. And and it would have been really nice to be able to get it, but it probably is, uh, it, it probably in the end is, is fair because I think it evens out. And, uh, yeah, Bertrand being gone, uh, for uh, that match and then the next match. And I don't know if then that fifth match, because he would have had five or six yellow cards. Now I don't know if that that means it's two games or what, but um, it it wouldn't be it wouldn't be great. So um, going back to Charlie Austin a little bit, do you think that that kind of in, like re endears him to the fans? I guess do you think that that puts him back on on our on our good side because so many fans just a week ago were kind of not happy with him, or do you think that fans will forget week to week and and we'll just move on? And if you score, then you know we can forgive you for a lot of other things. No, I mean, the reaction on, on Twitter was people generally love it. They love the passion, as I said. And actually, what happened was, was as soon as the uh, various organizations were, were putting up the clip, the Premier League seemed, or the FA seemed to be taking it down for violating their rights, or maybe they didn't like the fact that he was so critical of the officials with justification. Um, so and I think people, yeah, really like the fact that he went completely off script and he didn't follow the... I mean, sometimes their players will, will criticize referees, but they'll couch it in very kind of... Um, polite language saying oh it's a difficult job and I'm maybe um they didn't quite see it this time but who knows but he went you know full full on um gave it both barrels um I think I don't really like him. I think he's a bit of a selfish player and, and if if you are Sergio Aguero okay you can be selfish because you're going to score 99 times out of 100 but if you're Charlie Austin and you're being selfish you're just often wasting chances you're getting in the way as a set of people like Ings and his numbers don't really kind of back up his cockiness like his celebration was it was a really long celebration and maybe he was going to find that guy in the crowd as i said to him, <laughs> but um yeah you, you kind of really need to i think deliver if you're going to be that um careful of yourself and you want a striker that's that's confident but he really is kind of playing on the edge and he has something to prove and he just runs out of steam quite quickly so um myself and um, quite a few other people were actually tweeting saying they would have liked to see obafemi come on instead mm-hmm. and just keep you know keep up the pace um I think had long come on, that would have been a very unpopular decision. So yeah, in, in the pecking order, I'd say you have obviously Ings is number one and then it's between Gabby Adini and Austin, um, then Obafemi and, and long, but, uh, yeah, generally I think the fans quite like that, that response and, uh, it might get a bit more of a kind of 
cheer and, and, and support the next time he's out for that kind of backs against the wall, uh, the world's against us mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so we talked a little bit about the, the referee and, and kind of from my perspective, mismanagement of the game. Uh, and then there's the instance where it kind of all almost comes to a head where there's something in a, like Redmond runs into whoever it is. And there's a little bit of a shove as they're going down. The guy must've said something to Redmond. Redmond gets up in his face. They bump chest. They hit, they touch faces actually. Uh, then they go back in forward again. De La Feu comes off and, and, and comes over and grabs Redmond. Uh, he winds up getting a yellow, but at that point kind of tempers are, are flaring. There have been some challenges. There have been some things that have happened and it was nice to see the, the fight, I guess, from Redmond that, that he wasn't going to stand there and back down. But the team though, seemed to, as much as they were up for that, they seemed to kind of be retreating as we got into the 80th minute um, to be closer to their own goal and defending deeper and deeper and inviting Watford on. And I think that, that's going to frustrate fans because that's something that we can't really afford to do. And I think that's where um, their goal comes from. It's like really the, the one or two times that they had some sustained pressure, uh, they wind up scoring and it's, and, and, and just kind of walking through the goal. I don't know if you saw it on match of the day, but some of the things that I kind of noticed were like, it's, it's a deflected clearance that falls uh, to whole of us, I think. And he, he puts a good, he puts his shoe behind it, his foot behind it, whatever you want to say. Uh, it goes off Cedric and and I do have to say that there was one uh, announcer here in the United States who could not do anything but talk about um, how unhappy he was with how players were acting. Like, and it was just all, it was short of just saying back in my day, that was uh-huh. like every single time he had, he said anything and it was super, super uh, frustrating and annoying. But if you can tune him out, he did point out uh, some, some pretty clear things about, about their goal. Um, I mean, uh, Dini should never have been allowed to get that cross in who does pour there. Uh, Yoshida has been pulled to the near post and he doesn't do well enough to get it away. Um, James Ward Prowse comes by and, and attempts to clear it and basically just smashes it. And the deflection falls to whole of us and nobody closes him down. Gabby Dini uh, attempts to get there, but it's too far away. Cedric doesn't step close enough, uh, puts his hand behind his back and turns his back. Uh, and the deflection kind of fools McCarthy and, and all of it, you know, you can look at all of these errors and say, well, like that is our, that's, that's our luck right now, or that is essentially how we are defending recently. Um, and you, and it's frustrating to everybody, uh, I assume, and not just me that that's how we can see it is just, we, we, we do so well kind of all afternoon. Um, maybe we, we make a few mistakes in the first half, we get away with it, but we don't do enough to learn from it so that it doesn't cost us two points in the end. Yeah, I mean, there was such an inevitability about that equaliser. I just knew it was coming. Um, we just don't seem to be able to close out a game. I think I saw a stat saying we're one of the teams that's thrown away the most points from winning positions. Um, and again, do you lay the blame on the manager for that for not being tactical or is it the players? I mean, the number of mistakes you just pointed out, that's not really luck. That's that's error. And uh, you have some of the same culprits again. So that's James Will Prowse two weeks in a row against City. He, he failed to clear and they scored didn't matter anywhere near as much then because we were always going to lose against City. Right. But this was absolutely crucial to try and hang on to that 1-0 win. Cedric as well, what's he doing? People have been really critical of him not getting stuck in and having his hands behind his back and not doing everything he can to get rid of it. You want that You want that bodies on the line, uh, real defending that you used to see when you had the kind of Fonte and Van Dyke partner, uh, partnership or Fonte and Lovren or just our absolute rock-solid centre-backs in the past. 
that would just really, yeah, throw their bodies in the line and do everything. And now it's just uh, completely kind of chaotic and headless chickens kind of running around and um, you just know, you just know that we're going to throw it away. And it's just so frustrating. And, you know, even sitting at home, you want to throw your computer out the window, but when you're actually in the ground, it's just the worst feeling in the world. And the rest ruins the rest of the day because you just don't come away from St. Mary's these days with the, you know, feeling happy and, it's always that first feeling of frustration. Um, it's just such a, yeah, it's just such a, such a terrible, terrible feeling when, when it's always so close to the, to the final whistle as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you sum up most Southampton fans days who were in the, the ground yesterday. If they had to come in from a, a neighboring kind of suburb or city, whatever you want to call it, um, there were bus replacements, first of all. So it took extra time to get there. Uh, it was absolutely pouring. The weather was atrocious looking. Um, and I'm sitting here, you know, in shorts and a t-shirt like every other day because it's, it's beautiful and sunny and all this stuff. And I'm just going like, that looks awful. You know, that, that's what I was expecting when I went over, uh, last time around Easter and it wasn't quite that bad. Thank goodness. But I mean, that looked terrible. Then the stadium doesn't look great because it's the seats down close to the pitch are kind of empty because everybody's moved back and gotten under some sort of shade or shelter if they can, because it's that nasty outside we give that up and then everybody has to get back on the bus replacements to go back home. And it's like, what a crappy day. Like, you know, uh, and, and never mind kind of the, the thrill of scoring a goal, but just to have all of those other things happen and to walk out of there and to hold on really at the end of it, uh, for, for a draw just meant that that a lot of people were going to leave there and be super disappointed. And I think the club has to understand that. Like there, there are sacrifices that people make every single week, uh, sometimes twice a week to come see the team. And it's not just, oh, we wake up and, and open our eyes and we're bright and shiny in St. Mary's and we're all warm and cuddly. Like, that's not how it works, you know? Um, and, and at the end of the day, this is, you know, it, it's one win in 17 chances at home. Uh, that's eight games without a win in the Premier League. It's going to be over a calendar year uh, before we have the chance, or since our last victory at home, um, before we get the chance to do it again. Um, and it's just... I mean, this. Or, sorry, I guess one win in a calendar year because we we do have a Bournemouth, um, but I mean that's it, and that's that that that's got to be frustrating for everybody uh, involved, and and it has to be frustrating for the players too. I don't want to I don't want to say that they're not hurt by this, but uh, for the fans that are paying the money uh, to to go to the season uh, to, to buy season tickets or buy games on the day and all that other stuff. Like it's just gotta be, I mean, I don't know how your dad feels, but it can't be great. Yeah. I mean, it's, you really hit the nail on the head there. It's just that attritional grinding you down. Um, there's so many different ways you can cut the stats cake and you, and you throw out a few there, but yeah, the main one is that one, one home win in the calendar year and, and only four home wins since the start of the, um, 2016, 17 season, I think. So I, I people on Twitter the other day were saying in terms of the number of, um, goals scored at home, it's something ridiculous like twenty-five pounds a goal <laughs> that you pay to see one. Mm-hmm. So it's just the ho- once upon a time, St. Mary's was a fortress, you know, and, and and against the teams around us like Watford, Brighton, Newcastle, you just think that's a home win. Um, go in there with confidence. They do. They did win inevitably back then. You leave feeling good, and now it's you think we could always lose against the big teams, and against the teams around us, we're thinking, oh, we're probably going to draw and maybe lose as well. So there's just no feeling of optimism and it's not a nice way to kind of go into a game, you know, the team you love and support thinking that way. And especially as you said, it, it's your whole day is around that when you're going to the game, you get up and you think about it. You want, want to look on Twitter to see who people think is going to be in the lineup and maybe go and have some lunch and beers before the game. 
and then walk the, the long walk back to wherever you're going to to kind of you know digest it and, and discuss it and do the whole post-match analysis and things and when it's when it's just negative the whole time it really kind of puts a dampener on your weekend but uh We've been there before. We've been in relegation scraps, um, the Dell especially. But people kind of look back on those times with much more kind of sort of happiness. And maybe it's rose-tinted spectacles, but it always seemed like back then there was – well, first of all, we had people like Letizia. It was more entertaining, more more goals. And a lot of people would say more fight as well in the team. It's uh, – yeah, this is a combination of lots of things. But uh, the stats, is, as we just read out, just make for really bleak reading. And I, and I guess – you know, you talk about rose tinted glasses, uh, you know, when, when does that happen? Because obviously we still have to discuss, uh, Les Reed and, and, and kind of his dismissal or his firing, you know, Ra- Ralph Kruger came out and spoke, but I mean, right now, I mean, I, I guess whenever you go through like a, a breakup, right, you it doesn't matter how great your relationship was in the past, the, the months or weeks or days or whatever, right around that are never good. And it never ends kind of on, on great terms, but maybe, uh, maybe in, in, a, in a year or two years, you can look back and say like, oh, you know, these were actually some really good times. We learned some really valuable lessons from this. But is that going to happen with Les Reed? Do we do we owe him anything in terms of uh, a fan base to kind of look and give him some credit for some of the things that he's done? Or is it is it just he laid down on the job and, and a lot of the was he just writing Cortese's coattails, as I've heard a lot of people say? No, I, I think you, you have a team of people and um, when things are going well and and, and they see the team is obviously pulling together and good decisions are made and he was involved in signings and he signed some of good players and we were on an upward trajectory you know in 2010 obviously we finished second and got promoted to the championship and then when we came up to the premier league you know things just got better and better so i think in our first season back we won nine then it was 15 and then two seasons of winning 18 games which just seems so so far away even 12 under um 12 and then seven last season and just just one one this season which is terrible so you can really see that, uh, yeah, that, that that massive massive downward trajectory, and and he's the fall guy. And I suppose uh, Laurie McMenemy, the, the former Saints manager, was writing in the Echo, and he said uh, back in his day the focus was really just on the players and the manager. But now it's it's the board get just as much scrutiny um, with social media. People know who they are and and what they look like, and they come out in interviews and say things and so on. So um, he uh, it was his it was his time to go, I suppose, and. The signings just haven't really been working over the last few years. They spent a lot of money. People don't see it as being investment being either uh, wisely spent or any more kind of coming in or spent on the wrong things like fireworks or endless kind of social media media videos. Um, and, and and Ralph Kruger kind of gave a very, as usual, quite kind of enigmatic and uh, strange interview that didn't really reveal uh, very much. But, uh, you know, his, his, his justification was he was saying and, he loves to use kind of uh, apprentice style blue sky management speak, but he said, uh, you know, the start phase of the season wasn't good. We've slipped in our percentage points. Um, and now it's time for the ownership to strategically make the direction. Um, so he, you know, the board is, is, is Kruger. It's, it's, it's Gowan, his daughter is the finance director. Um, and, and they obviously, and Katarina Lieber, of course, and they kind of collectively decided that, uh, you know, as, as the, head of football development as his title was the football hadn't been <laughs> developing anymore um and therefore he, he had to go but um uh reaction as i was reading on the ugly inside um forum seemed to be kind of people were largely pleased that he, he'd gone and should have happened sooner in fact some people were saying should have fired him when potch went because that was a huge 
um, loss. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a debate to be had there which would Kuka go on or not about whether Poch would have stayed or not. Um, but, you know, they, they seem to be quite ruthless when they sacked um, Adkins, for example, when they sacked Puel. Right. Um, so they weren't afraid of making the big decisions. He's also the guy that brought, brought in Hughes as well. And that's not looking perhaps the best decision either. So who, who knows whether the, his removal makes more, more, more likely or less likely that Hughes is going to go too. Yeah, I mean, when I look at the club and when I started supporting the club, the, the youth academy, that pathway from the youth academy to the first team, and and to be completely honest, from our first team to other, you know, clubs that were our our bigger clubs, you know, uh, guys were going to um, guys from the youth academy were going to Arsenal. Guys from the youth academy were going winding up in in Liverpool. Signs that we made were winding up in Liverpool, like that. As as a as a kid, kind of going through the academy and, and going like like I could potentially be playing, you know, champion or Champions League football or Europa League football for Southampton or you know, a, a bigger club like that to me, like I, I really like that idea. Um, not because I want to see players leave the club, but because I guess as a coach, I guess as, as, uh, as somebody who, uh, whose, whose favorite sport is baseball and, and, or I guess the, the sport that I've watched the longest is baseball. I think that that's, that football has definitely taken, uh, over a lot of my, my time and passion uh, in the last five or six years. But, um, just that that kind of reliance on on building a farm system and, and having that be good it was great and now i mean obafemi is the last the first i guess uh real youth team player to have a shot in in what seems like forever you know it seems like we loan everybody else out just like everybody else does and and few and far between though those guys are coming up and actually uh getting the chance to make an impact and and that to me signals a red flag that there are, there are problems behind the scenes and I would put that down to Les Reed and 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 Hunter and and their kind of inability to to kind of continue to move things forward. Maybe we were ahead at one point, um, and now everybody else is caught up, and and we failed to take that step. And whether that's that's true or it's just me thinking, I, you know, that that's how I see it, and that's how I kind of am thinking about it. And so I can't really complain too much about the decision to to let him go. I think it's probably the right call. Um, in terms of Ralph Kruger, I don't know. It seems like a lot of the off-field stuff that that guy wants to get done. That that's kind of his job to do, and he seems to be doing that okay. Whether we, um, and I think especially you and, and your dad and, and the fans that are in the ground, I think um, to to some extent you are being marginalized a little bit because the the focus has definitely gone to to shifting the brand a little bit and, and expanding the brand overseas. And uh, I think all of those things have to be done. But I'm not sure that he is. Uh, you know, I, I guess with a foreign owner and a foreign guy uh, and Kruger kind of running that system, um, you you run the risk of of alienating uh, your local fan base a little bit. And I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And with the tragic events that um, Leicester has obviously brought out all of the uh, love and admiration for, for Vichai, their, their former owner, and um, lots of people have been making the kind of comparison of various other clubs and their owners unfavorably to him because he was so loved for not only the success that he produced on the pitch with that amazing title winning season, but the things he did um, off the pitch actually, you know, made a, a real difference. He, he gave a million pounds to the local hospital and the university. Yes, he did the stuff like the clappers and the, and the free beer, but um, he actually made kind of worthwhile gestures and he was very visible and, uh, and people knew, knew him and knew what he was about. And he had a great kind of connection with the friends and with the fans, sorry. And, and Gao is just seemed to be completely in, invisible. I don't think he's made any statement. Um, as you said, 
Grigor is his mouth, mouthpiece. Grigor actually said that in that same interview, January is not an active time for us usually. And that's not what fans want to hear. They want to hear, yes, things have been really um, bad on the pitch. And so we will strengthen in um, January and not sort of talk about long-term infrastructure you know, investment because you're not going to be able to um, make St. Mary's 50,000 capacity and, and sell it out if you're in relegated to the championship. So right. and they, in fact, they've even had trouble selling tickets at the moment. Um, so there's a real disconnect, I think, with the, with the fans and the board at the moment. Um, there was even talk of, of, of protests. Um, I didn't. I don't know if this materialised. It wouldn't have been appropriate, probably, with it being um, the, the day before. Remember, it's Sunday, but certainly maybe at the next home game there, there may well be um, protests. And as you said, with Martin uh, Hunter, he came in exactly the same time as um, as, as Reed, and you had that that kind of got a golden generation, I suppose, of players like um, well, especially Adam Lallana was a real star performer in, in League One at the time in the Championship, and he's sort of completely hated by a lot of fans now for the way he left and that, that's fair enough it was pretty um, toxic but he obviously did a lot of great stuff for us in the past we had obviously Oxlade Chamberlain uh, Callum Chambers so yeah a lot of great um, youth players that played for us and then went on to other clubs um, and now as you said who we've got Harrison Reed is at Blackburn Jake Hesketh Burson Albion Sam McQueen at Middlesbrough Josh Sims is at Reading I think Sims in particular is a real uh puzzler for the fans because he just had such a good um season when he played that that goal he's uh, sorry the assist he got for Shane Long's goal in the, in the semi-final Liverpool is right you know, one of the most memorable moments of the past few seasons and he just seemed to really uh have a really kind of attacking mindset um he played really well against Everton I remember uh, and people want to see um players that just you know have no fear and, and run at run at the, the opposition's goal and attack um so you're right it's a really uh, kind of puzzling time as to why of all of those um, players, they're just deemed not good enough. And I know the big clubs do this a lot. Chelsea have so many players on loan around the country and Europe and, and City do. Um, but we don't have the squads and the quality of those teams. So you'd think we would want to to bring in those, uh, bring our youth players in, especially when the, the signings really haven't made, made the impact that we would have hoped for. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I think there are a number of, of things that we're going to have to address. Um, I, I think it's going to be difficult for the club to, to, to move into January and start making a bunch of signings because one, like he, like Kruger said, it's not normally what we do. And at the same time, if we're going to replace Reed and Martin Hunter, which I keep wanting to call Alex Hunter, which is why I only said his first, his last name earlier, because I played the stupid, whatever FIFA thing. Uh, and now I have that guy in my head, but, um, if, if we're going to replace them, then it's going to be. Um, I mean, they kind of need to be in that position to, to, to make those signings. I don't necessarily want Ralph Kruger identifying talent, you know, and it's not that he's the only person on this, on the team that's going to, he wouldn't necessarily be doing that, I guess, but uh, I want somebody that's overseeing that to have a, a clear direction of where the club is going before we start spending 25, 30 million pounds on somebody because we need to make a signing because the fans are unhappy and because we're not scoring goals. You know, uh, I don't think that's, that's in the sustainability model that, that saints have, have set up with. And I think as a fan of saints having come in later than, than a lot of people, you know, um, that's kind of what I signed up for was the sustainability model. So I, I have a harder time being upset when they, when they follow that. Um, as, as somebody who's been watching the, the club for longer, uh, you have, you maybe have a different perspective and, and I have to respect that as well. Um, I just try not to, to throw a bunch of stones at the club because 
I kind of knew what I was getting into when I got into it, you know? Yeah. I think, um, I think it's my, my kind of issue is more with the way he phrased it, just saying, Oh, well, January's not our time for signings. If, um, he'd given a bit more context and explained, as you said, about trying to produce a more kind of sustainable model, or he talked about youth players, then that would have been a bit more understandable. But instead he just sort of seemed to sort of shut down the issue with <laughs> management speed. That's, that's the frustrating thing. I think it's that lack of lack of clear, yeah. um, communication. I suppose now they have got the fans forum, um, which is a, you know, sort of a, an attempt at more at transparency. Um, so that people can actually go along and say in person how they feel. And that must be quite a tenuous atmosphere at the moment, I imagine. Yeah. Well, and it, it's not always just what you say. It's kind of how you say it. And it's what you don't say. And it's, it's, uh, I, I've gathered just from, from, I think things that people have said and written that, that Kruger maybe doesn't necessarily read the room very well when he speaks. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of those instances where you, you have to know your audience and, uh, I'm probably guilty of it as well. I've probably said things on here that are absolutely ridiculous and it, it's just the way it goes. But, um, you know, I, I mean, we're talking right now, I can't see your face. So like when you see, when you, when you have the ability to sit in front of, of, of a reporter even and, and, and kind of watch the way they react to something, then you can, you can, you know, ask a question, see what the, the feedback is and, and you can move on, move on that and use that. But he doesn't seem to do that very well, which, um, makes it hard when your job is talking, you know, <laughs> um, you would expect him to be a little better at it, but, um, all right. I, I, I we have a couple of questions. Um, I don't want to take too much more time cause we're, we're kind of near the, uh, the kind of, there's a magic kind of five minute window where when we stop it here. It works out really well for me, um, which is totally selfish, but my daughter has more stuff we have to do. So, uh, I have to, to go do that. But quickly, I was just going to say that I've uh, read that Mark Devlin, who is, uh, Brentford for is potentially in the frame um, for Les's role. He's he was a Brentford for seven years. Um, he sort of helped with the relocation to their new stadium, which is going to be by by Q Bridge in in London. Um, people think they're doing pretty well at the moment. I know they're mid table ish in the Championship, but for a club of their size, um, they can be performing well. So yeah, we'll watch this space um, as concerns him. Maybe it's not that exciting it for people to say, oh, he's coming from Brentford, but. Uh, yeah, that's a name that's that's potentially out there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there is a name where I would be like super excited as because somebody's coming in as, as the technical director. It's like what's going to happen for me when they announce somebody is I'm going to Google them, read their Wikipedia page, and see where they've worked and what they've done, and that's that's basically what I'm going to do. Um, well, one consequence though is that Hughes hints has me that he will now get more say over. Assuming he stays in post, obviously he'll get more say over transfers. He kind of seems to be suggesting that he was rather blocked from getting the kind of players he wanted in which I think is good <laughs> that he was blocked because I don't need, I don't need four center backs and then four more center backs and then two just wild attackers. I don't, I don't really want that. Um, yeah. Well, after the Newcastle game, I was pretty annoyed. So I made a joke on Twitter saying, Oh, it turns out that we Southampton have turned up as dressed as Stoke for Halloween. I saw that. Um, it was, I thought it was good. Yeah. So that might become, you know, more of a reality rather than just a, a horrible fantasy. If he does get more control. Yeah. And it wasn't, it was, was it Shawcross Sh- Sh- that, that broke, uh, who was it? Aaron Ramsey. He broke yes. his leg. And then now for some ridiculous reason, the Stoke fans boo Aaron Ramsey when, when they play, obviously they're not playing each other this season. Right. Stoke. Right. But, uh, that's one of the, uh, kind of more moronic kind of, uh, incidents in football, I have to say. Yeah. I, I think that's part of the reason that I dislike Stoke is because of my Arsenal friend and watching that and, and having that kind of carry over, um, I just don't like Shawcross. I don't want him anywhere. I don't want him anywhere <laughs> yeah. near like a team that I like, you know, uh, stay in the championship. 
I mean, we would have taken Shakiri though. He was brilliant for Liverpool today. But alas, yeah, he's not. He wouldn't have come to us. But that's one of the one of the few Stoke players we've definitely have taken. Right, right. Um, yeah, it might have been interesting for uh, is it him and Tadic to be on the same team at some point? Like that wouldn't. I don't know how that would go, um, given the uh, political rivalries and, and, and such. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we have questions here about players to sign. Uh, I'm not sure. Reed gone. Where do we go from here? I think we talked about that. Um, I, I guess here's one that we can kind of like sum up a little bit and maybe just bring some closure to the discussion we had earlier. Um, DP underscore zero five zero seven says, do you agree with what Austin said? Um, so in that post-match interview, as I'm, I'm going to assume he's, he's what he's talking about, but do you agree with kind of the, the VAR discussion, I guess that, that we were cost two points, but we both said that that was a clear penalty. So, you know, maybe we're down to 10 men, but, I don't know. Did, did what Austin say make sense in terms of maybe a VAR? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, take it away from yesterday's game. Um, you have it in La Liga. You have it in the Bundesliga. Um, you had it trialed in, I think, the FA Cup last season. And obviously, you had it in the World Cup. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer. You obviously have goal line technology now. Um, and as you said, it almost took longer for his referee decision anyway than some of the VAR ones. So regardless of the rights and wrongs of the one yesterday, I think it's an absolute must. And actually today in the Liverpool game, you saw Fulham score what looked like a an onside goal and it was ruled out and then Liverpool went straight up the other end and scored. Um, but there's obviously quite a kind of ingrained feeling amongst the smaller clubs that the big teams um, always get the big decisions. And one of the most notorious examples was, of course, the League Cup uh, final two years ago when Gabbiadini scored um, a perfectly legitimate goal against Manchester United. And of course, um, it was ruled uh, incorrectly offside um, because referees love Manchester United. And we lost. And had we had VAR, that goal would have scored. We would have gone 1-0 up. I think that's less contentious than yesterday because then, you know, there wasn't an, an equivalent uh, incident to kind of balance it out. That was, a, a, you know, a clear kind of advantage for us. So I'm 100% uh, in favour of VAR. So I agree with, with Charlie in that respect that um, we need, referees need all the help they can get. But I think the problem was that he was basically saying the only reason we didn't get three points because of that. And it, he's, he was using it slightly as a, as a cover to mask you know, a lot of our, uh, deficiencies really. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's going to both take away and, and, and give you some points back maybe, but in the times, I guess in the times when, when VAR is used and it penalizes you, you can at least say, well, that was deserved and you understand it a bit more versus now because it wasn't used we can feel, we feel much aggrieved because it would have benefited us to have it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, we have a couple of other questions, but I think we have time for, for one more. Um, and this is from underscore Ben dot, uh, He sent in a couple of things last week and he says, would you take a relegation if it meant we came back up in three or four years with a club back to pre Puel quality? Um, which I think is kind of a, a bigger question, but looking, you know, when I read the question, I think about the fact that we're kind of without the, the essentially director of football uh, guy, we need to replace that. The, the youth Academy isn't produces as many players. If you had the guarantee of coming back up in three or four years, would you consider going down and kind of reassessing and rebuilding and, and, and coming back up? Or would you, would you not, want that to happen would you rather grind out a couple of years maybe uh towards the bottom of the premier league and then and then you know be mid-table for uh, I, I don't know maybe maybe five or six years after that yeah so it's difficult really because 
there's always the argument that if we went down, um, we would rebuild, we would actually win some games. So it'll be actually, you know, fun to go and watch. Um, and we would have that winning feeling. We would be able to come away from the ground feeling positive about a weekend. Um, and we'd have players that were committed and not just there for the, for the money because they would leave. And I think people like Bertrand and Cedric would go and sit on the bench, uh, a big top six club for the money. But on the other hand, I think people slightly, you know, overemphasize the fact that um, we would be a big fish in a small pond. Actually, you've got huge teams in the championship. Mm-hmm. People really struggle often to, when they go down, you lose the parachute payments. Obviously, I think it's after your second season. So going into your third one, you've lost them. Right. And also, maybe from a more selfish perspective, when you're in the Premier League, you can watch the best players in the world and you can watch incredible um, passing and skill and so on. Championship obviously is good uh, quality, but it's never it's not the same. And you would watch a lot of kind of agricultural, physical football. Um, yeah, there's more games to go to. Might be a bit cheaper. There's so many, so many positives and negatives on both sides. But I think there's a real danger of things spiraling out of control and you know going going down all the way back to League One. So it may be the case that rather than just being two or three seasons to rebuild, it could end up being a five or six year thing. And then you have you know, then you have only about 10,000 people in the stadium and you lose whatever what atmosphere you had left anyway. So right. if, if you said, okay, here's your pack with the devil, you get to choose, I would say, yes, I would go down but only for one season if I was guaranteed to come back up again because one season of uh, you know, exciting, uh, attra- attractive um, football winning and coming back is, is fine, but um, you know, not, not, not at the cost of, of, of two or more, basically. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a whole cycle of players you're going to miss out on, you know, or that are going to be of a different quality. And it's tough to convince players to stay at Saints now, never mind if we were to go down, you know, and what a lot of those players would, would, would do to move away then. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, people, people obviously really hate the fact that Mane and, and Van Dyke um, left. But you also have to remember that we got to see those players in Saints shirts playing brilliantly. And yes, there's obviously a question of, uh, did, did they, towards the end, when they wanted to move, did they just down tools and phone it in because they weren't motivated? Um, but for a time, they, they have to prove themselves. Um, and unfortunately, the way football is with the big six just becoming so much, uh, breaking away so far from the rest. I think I saw a stat saying, out of the games that the top six have played against the rest of the teams, they've only lost one or something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of talk about them forming a, a European Super League with kind of the sort of the top echelons of European football. I think that would be a real, real disaster. Um, I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, but the Premier League is incredibly exciting. And yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would rather stay. I think I'd rather stay in it. If I, if I absolutely had to choose, I'd, I'd like to stay in it. All right. All right. Well, um, that's it. Uh, the rest of the questions I will try to answer. Um, on Instagram just because we don't have uh, quite enough time, but I do appreciate people sending those in. So uh, you can always do that on Twitter or Instagram. Just look for the post, uh, send a DM. It does not matter. Uh, however you want to do it. Tim, thank you so much for, um, for joining me. It's, it's been, it's been nice to talk to you both before and and then during the podcast. And uh, I am hoping to be able to get over there at some point and uh, watch the team, have more food, see more sites, uh, do all of that stuff. Um, although I'm, fairly confident in saying that it will be a much shorter trip if I, if I do it again, and it will probably be just me, uh, trying to power through a bunch of jet lag, but, um, you got enough coffee shops around. I think I can do it. Yeah, <laughs> but you certainly do. And I don't think it can any, can be any worse than your, the game you saw before in terms of, 
uh, you're, you know, you're the result. Hopefully it wouldn't be another, another three, three nil loss. So, yeah, no. Um, but if I can avoid going back to West Ham again, I would, I would definitely, I, I would like to try a different stadium. I would raise yeah. my hand for something else. <laughs> I mean, I've just looked at the table just as uh, I think all the games for this weekend are, are done as we're talking now. Um, we go into the international break in 17th place um, on goal difference by one goal. So we are out of the relegation zone by one goal on goal difference uh, ahead of Cardiff, which is just <laughs> not good enough. Yeah. And actually that's something I did agree with Charlie as well. And I think the fans, um, liked here, which is he was saying, if we had won, we would be going into the international break off the back of the victory, um, something to build on when we get back. And instead, we're frustrated. Um, so just you don't quite get that sense of momentum that you would have done with a win. Right, right. Yeah, it changes the whole momentum of the of the thing. And, and it makes it just puts that much more emphasis on on Fulham uh, in two weeks, I guess. So uh, we will we will see. But uh, thanks again, Tim, for doing this. I appreciate it. And I uh, will be sure to talk to you soon. No problem. It's been great. Thanks. And that does it for episode 96 of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Tim Marshall. Once again, thank you for stepping in on such short notice. Thanks for chatting with me. Thanks for taking care of me while my family and I were in London. I really do appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. If you'd like to follow Tim on Twitter, uh, get his opinion on Saints more often. You can do that at Tim J. Marshall. Uh, It's the same on Instagram, although there is significantly less Saints content. Um, If you like running, though, it's probably a good thing to go follow. Uh, Anyway. Other thanks goes out this week to everybody who sent in questions. We did not get to them all, and I apologize, but I will answer them as the week goes on on the Instagram story because I do appreciate you interacting. Uh, We just didn't have time this week because the episode is already too long, in my opinion. Uh, If you want to follow this show on Twitter or Instagram so you can send in questions, you can even do it on Facebook. Uh, We're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY, both on Twitter and Instagram. And we're at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. If you're not following along, you should do so. Uh, Don't miss out on anything uh, that we put out uh, throughout the week. Uh, We'll even be up there doing stuff during the international break. And we will have an episode next week as well. Um, If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, you should. Uh, You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, uh, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Type in the name. Uh, Look for delivery with two L's uh, and it should bring you up. If you have trouble, let me know. This podcast is partnered with the Southampton page. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Do not miss out on the wonderful content they have for you. Uh, A wonderful team of guys that I really do enjoy working with, uh, bringing you stuff each and every week. Uh, The logo for the show is done by Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Matt has been a friend of the show. He was on uh, very early on, and he's been a huge supporter from day one. So go over there and check out all of his stuff that he has going on uh, on the page. All music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games, and the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Boddington Bear. That does it for this week, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, Please, if you like, share the show, leave a review. All of that stuff helps. And until next time, remember that together, we march on.
Dad. Thanks for calling, man. Uh, haven't heard from you in a while, but did you hear the news? I know you haven't been on Facebook for a while and that you don't use Twitter uh, and that your Instagram you're locked out of. But did you see that Saints fired Les Reed finally after all this time, uh, all the things he's finally gone? It's ridiculous. Why, how is that ridiculous? Like the man was terrible over the past few seasons. Um, there's been almost nothing positive to speak of uh, on or off the pitch for most of the last two or three years. Uh, the manager report. Many positives. No, no, there have been no positives. You are completely wrong. Why are we even having this conversation? Um, are you serious that you really, really think they hired a guy? Uh, they hired a guy. They had two guys in a row that would just say yes to everything they wanted. They let the best two managers that we had go as one, because they wouldn't meet his demands in terms of the transfer market. And the, the second one, who knows if he would have stayed, but, but I mean, those were the best two managers we had in recent seasons, followed up by two guys who just say yes. And then one of your buddies who has a 22% winning percentage, 22%. Um, you're talking five wins out of 22 matches over two seasons. And they just said that they are totally happy with that. I mean, would you be happy with that if that was your team? Like, there's no way that you would stand for that. It's ridiculous. It's a joke. Clearly, they need help. Cle- yeah, see, now now we're on the same page. Clearly, they do need help. And and I think you need some help if you're going to continue down this this road of, uh, of not really acknowledging that they really do need it. Uh, and I don't really know how to, how to convince you other than saying uh, five wins out of 22 and one win in a calendar year at home. I mean, how does that? How does that taste? Uh, that doesn't taste good. It's a joke. Yeah, it is a joke. You you're right. Um, but I don't know how we I don't know how we fix it. Like, it's a joke. Clearly, they need help. Clearly, I give them all the help they need. I I guess you're right. Whatever they ask, whatever they need, uh, I guess we'll do it because that's what that's what fans do. We want the team to to to, to benefit, right? Like that that's right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, nice to talk to you. Good good chat. Many positives. Yep. Many positives. Love you. Uh, talk to you later.